Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes at your favorite theme park? Well, you're about to find out. So pull the harness all the way over your shoulders till it reaches your lap. Keep arms and legs inside the train at all times. And hold on, because it's time for the Theme Park Legends Podcast with your host, Steve Honeycutt. What's up, Theme park Roonies? It's time for another episode of Theme Park, park Legends. Legend. The showedly doe that takes you behind the diddly of your favorite theme parks, a doodly. I'm your host who boasts the most roast, Steve Honeycutt. Now, is it possible to work as a performer in the theme park world if you have no experience as an actor? I think we've already proven in past episodes that it is possible. That uh, people saw a flyer for auditions and their inner performer motivated them and carried them to a successful audition. But... What if you aren't motivated by the need or the love to perform? What if it's money that motivates you to audition? Is that enough to carry you to a successful career as a theme park performer? Today's guest, Matt Smith, proves that it is. From his humble beginnings and attractions as a skipper at Jaws and Universal Orlando, to taking on entertainment roles like Barney Rubble, and Beetlejuice, to working his way into management at the Nickelodeon Hotel, Matt takes us on a journey not fueled by the love of performing, or so he says, but a love of paying the rent. I can already feel my net worth increasing as I speak these words, so let's go to my interview with Matt Smith. Ladies and gentlemen, with me today, all the way from Green Bay, Wisconsin, is Matt Smith. Matt, how's it going today? Pretty good. How are you, Steve? I'm doing all right. Happy to be talking to you. It's been a long time, huh? A very long time. You know, when you messaged me, I looked in our Facebook messages, and I think the last time we talked was my 30th birthday party that we decided to have at Dave & Buster's on iDrive. I saw that too, man. Man, that brought back memories. That was like right when I got back from Singapore, give or take a few mm -hmm. months or something. It was a good time. It was a good time. I just wish the prizes were better at Dave and Buster's. Come on, do something about that, I Dave mean, and Buster. <laughs> I wish they had more classic arcade games. So there you yeah, go. They That's are. true. That's a lot true. of people listen to this, and they're gonna they're gonna hear it one way or another. I uh, hope so. Sure, I hope so. So uh, I've heard around the campfire that you've worked at a few theme parks. I, I have. I have. Yeah. What was know? the first theme park you ever worked at? Well, the first theme park I worked at was Universal Orlando. Um, I started there back in 2004. Mm -hmm. You know, something that it was a park that I always liked going to. It was actually the very first time as a family vacation that we ever uh, went down to Florida. It was the first time I had ever been on a plane. Literally, Right as we got off, we couldn't check into our hotel yet. So it was an extended family. We were there with my uh, grandparents and they were like, let's all go to Universal. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but sure, let's go. You know, so we went there and it was great. And I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to lead me to my uh, next question. What was the first theme park you ever visited ever as a guest? I'm not 100% sure on the timeline, but it was either Michigan's Adventure mm -hmm which is in Muskegon, Michigan, Okay, where I'm, I'm from Michigan originally, mm -hmm. or it was Universal. I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to look back in some ancient tomes to be able to check that out. You don't need to do that. But uh, <laughs> tell, me about, tell me about Michigan's Adventure. This is the first time I've ever heard of it. So Michigan's Adventure is in Muskegon, Michigan. It 
was a water park and a amusement park in one. It had a whopping three roller coasters at it, two of which were wooden, one which was kind of uh, more Mm kid-oriented. It didn't have a a lot of twists and turns to it. Sure, They had a huge one that I believe was called the Wildcat, but somebody listening will probably say, no, you're wrong. That wasn't what it was called. But (laughs) they also had a... A mini corkscrew version that was kind of a duplicate of what they have at Cedar Point mm-hmm. in Sandusky, Ohio. Since we're, you were talking about your first visit to Universal, uh, what'd you think about it when you got there? Well, when I got there, I didn't. I I thought it was amazing that how they had that like giant globe. Now that's before they redid it. Right. It used to be more gold looking. City Walk was not there at the time. Basically the land that was City Walk used to be the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So you could literally drive up almost to where those giant uh, arch things are that are outside Universal Orlando. And cool. um, I just remember going in there and obviously the first thing you saw at that point, this was in 1993, was uh, Hanna-Barbera's fantastic uh I forgot the full name of it now, right. but the the one the one that keeps changing into you know Jimmy Neutron slash sure. uh, Minions, mm-hmm. Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem, or whatever it is now. That was fun, and that was probably at the time, unfortunately, the only recognizable thing I had. I hadn't watched a ton of movies at the time, but having gone to Universal, mm-hmm. I remember right after we uh, left there the first time, I was like, I. Mom, Dad, can I watch the movies that, you know, <laughs> are involved with this thing? And then sure. for Easter, that first year after, I got a copy of E.T. on VHS mm-hmm. in my Easter basket. So, And uh, while you were there, did you ever think to yourself, hey, this might be a cool place to work? Honestly, it wasn't on my radar. Right. Um, I mean, you were but, pretty young anyway, right? Yeah, I was only in second grade. Sure. So we were there on a you know family vacation and I was just like, OK, I don't. We're going to Florida, you know, like I really hadn't been other than watching a few VHS things of like Disney movies and stuff like that was the only thing that I assumed I was going to see when I went to Florida. (laughs) I didn't know what uh, Universal uh, Studios at the time was going to entail. And it blew my mind. It obviously held a special place in my heart. Absolutely. So what inevitably brought you down to Florida and then eventually led to your employment at Universal Orlando. I've always had a fascination with film and video production. Mm -hmm. And so I attended uh, school right out of high school at Full Sail University, which is in Winter Park, Florida, which is just northeast of uh, like downtown Orlando in the park. So it's actually quite a drive if you get stuck in I-4 traffic, but that's mm. beside the point. <laughs> um, so I I went to Full Sail. Uh, I was down there for uh, film and uh, video is what I was there for uh, studying. Right. Having had familiarity with having done so many uh, family vacations at in Florida, I was like, I'm going to get an annual pass. Ooh. And so, uh, you know, we got an annual pass Shortly after starting school, I got a few other of my classmates to join in and we um, would regularly go to the parks. And then when were you like, hey, I should go work here? Well, it was kind of weird. So when I was in school, it was uh, full sale. For those that don't know, it's a very accelerated program. Uh, the film and video production course was a 13 month thing to get your associate's degree. 
And but toward the end of it, the school's a little smaller back then, and there was very little soundstage space. And there were so many uh, people in our class that we actually had to do three different productions of our uh, movies that we were doing for a 35 millimeter course. And I was in the first group, meaning there were two other groups after us for the rest of the month, which basically gave me three months where I had to do nothing but a few random labs. So I would get on the old Lynx bus. Mm-hmm. And I would use my annual pass and I would go to Universal Orlando and just hang out. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just hang out there. And one day I remember I was hanging out. I had gotten something to eat. I was in Islands of Adventure. I was hanging out over near uh, me ship the olive and uh, I was just eating something. And one of the uh, employees kind of walked over to me. And they're like, hey, how you doing today? I was like, good, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, I see you here a lot. And I was like, oh, y- yeah. You know, and they were like, do you work here? And I was like, no, I don't. I don't work here. I'm just an annual pass holder. And they were like, you know, they're hiring. They've got a uh, a job fair coming up at CityWalk. And it was like literally two, three days away. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, cool. Sounds good. You know, yeah. I mean, I was getting close to the end of school. I wanted to make some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big fear. I'm very money uh, conscious. So I was very like, oh, man. I need to start making money when I get done with school. Either I'm going to have to go to New York or I'm going to have to go to Los Angeles. I don't know. Uh, don't but, go there. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, went to that job fair, uh, you know, after that. And uh, it was uh, at City Walk where you had to go to all the different things. They had like a thing in Pat O'Brien's. It was like different phases of what you had to go through to get there. And okay. um, I remember I went there. I didn't really have an idea of what I was going to apply for, but I knew I didn't want to be a custodian. I knew I sure. didn't want to work in food. <laughs> um, I just basically went there and I looked at the different things and they had the job descriptions on there. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking at one point there was, it said attractions and spieling attractions. Mm. And I asked the person that was there, I said, what is the difference and they were like, well, spieling attractions, you know, like earthquake, uh, jaws, blah, blah, blah. And I went, oh, okay. And they were like, uh, it also pays 50 cents more. And I was like, sold. <laughs> sold. 50 I cents know what, more. Oh, boy. <laughs> 50 cents more, which at the time, minimum wage was $6.75, which <sighs> blows my mind. Yeah. But to make seven twenty-five an hour, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to follow that money train. Mm. And uh, I'm going to, <laughs> you know, choo choo, hop on that. Yeah. And, uh, make a little bit of money but i uh so i did that and i went in and they basically asked you know which uh thing do you want to do you want to do jaws earthquake or triceratops mm-hmm. encounter and i was like uh jaws yeah. you know i like steven spielberg movies so i was like yeah definitely jaws so at that point you didn't have like a preference between those three or or was jaws the preference I, I wrote down because they made us indicate which one we wanted to go for. And mm-hmm. I feel like to a certain extent, because I declared one that I wanted, mm-hmm. and it was more just, again, because I was like, oh, yeah, I like Steven Spielberg. I'm more familiar with Jaws than I am with the Earthquake ah, movie. Okay. Yeah. You know, and Triceratops Encounter. Uh, I I know we've known people that have worked there, but at, <laughs> it was kind of a... Uh, boring it wasn't a ride it was more like a walk through you I saw see. the dinosaur you went hi meet my pet whatever right. the heck its name that was. seems like and, more work too and less fun than uh jaws so i i would say that 
I mean, just from an outside observer, I would say you probably made the right decision because you get that uh, that gun thing that they that mm-hmm. they have. What was it? A uh, was it a grenade launcher? Or yeah, something? grenade launcher. Which yeah. I don't know if you would actually propel a grenade at a shark to try to get rid of it, but <laughs> that's a, that's a whole nother discussion. Well, this is a theme park logic we're using okay, here. Okay, so, okay, okay. Uh, of course, it makes sense. Uh, so anyway, so you chose Jaws, and what happened next? Uh, went into a room where we had to basically read a couple different things and we, uh, you know, kind of had to read a few lines to make it sound like, can we be excited? Oh no, there's a shark, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, as long as we could do that, we basically moved on to the next level. And I think I was one of two people from that entire job fair that got moved in for the, the next incoming class of Jaws people. Now at that point, uh, did you have any background in performing or acting or even public speaking not really i mean oh he's just a natural ladies and gentlemen i mean i'm not trying to i'm not trying to say that i was a natural i (laughs) i when i was in high school like there were the musicals and stuff like that but i just never auditioned for any of that stuff Uh because before working at universal i probably had the kind of nerves that would just make me shake Mm -hmm. you know and it was not cool but i was like yeah, and you know, once again, doing it for that extra 50 cents. So, you know, I I was like, I'm going to get in here and I'm going to work at Jaws. And, uh, you know, that's kind of refreshing because so many people come on the show <laughs> and they say they do it for the, the love of the art and blah, 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 mm-hmm. which is great. But... <laughs> You're the first person to say you're doing it for the for the money. And, I uh, was doing it for the money. I mean, I I hate to sound like the guy that's just like, give me the money. I just need the money. But I, you know, at the time, it's like I was paying rent. It's not like I mean, we're we're old enough that we're not getting like an allowance or anything. Sure. So it's like we have to make ends meet. And you I, know. I will tell you, I had never been more motivated to prepare for an audition than when, all right. Then when I first, you know, started and I was Shrek and Homer making like, I think it was like seven fifty, and then they changed it to like eight. The, the It went up a dollar or something. Wow. The minimum wage went up a dollar while I was there. And then, you know, you would find out what the, uh, you know, the atmosphere and face character people were making. And then mm-hmm. I was just like, I got to get that donkey roll. I got to get it. There's no, nothing will stop me. And I correct me if I'm wrong. That was actor C though. Correct. Or B. No, no, it was still, uh, um, it was the same as everyone. It was actor a, um, do we have to clarify that? Give a key to the, the listeners to, so they know what actor a and basically person? donkey was part of, uh, you know, the atmosphere people who mm-hmm. were making almost double, I think like, all right. So I was eight fifty whenever I would play Shrek. Whenever I would do Donkey, it would be twelve fifty. I think mm-hmm. is what I was making, uh, and you know, and that goes the same for what um, help me out here, like the uh, face character people, like uh, Marilyn Monroe, right? Yeah, um, yep. yeah. So there you go. And people who made more than that were like stunt people and singers and dancers um, yep. at, at Universal. Uh, they cast you as the awesome uh, Jaws dude. Skipper. Yes, yeah, Skipper. So when you found out that you were getting it, um, what were your thoughts? Awesome. I have a job. Yeah. Um, and then because I was an annual pass holder at the time, unlike a lot of the other people that were there just for the job fair, I just went into the park and went on the Jaws ride probably <laughs> 15 times. Nice. 
in a row. And uh, I think the people were starting to think I was crazy. And on my first day, they were like, oh, we didn't. Oh, okay, we get it now. <laughs> like, you know, I've been on the ride plenty of times. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was like, I, I want to have a leg up on my first day. So I was just trying to see, oh, what's this person do? Mm-hmm. What's that person do? Because if you've ever been on a spieling attraction, you know that each person brings their own little flavor to it. And yeah, sure. you've got the the predetermined cues that come with the soundtrack, but mm-hmm. each person kind of brings their own little level of things. So you're like, oh, I like that. I'm going to take a bit of that. I'm going to take a bit of that. You create your own recipe. And then when you're the one driving the, the boat, in mm-hmm. this case, you can use the best of what everybody brought to the table. And, right. you know, you're like, look at me, <laughs> you know, but do you remember how the training went? Uh, the training was um, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest things that, because I was not a trained actor, I had never done anything where I had to memorize lines before. Mm-hmm. I remember my uh, trainer, uh, Jennifer, she did this weird thing. Now, keep in mind, we were the only attraction that could regularly wear shorts, mm-hmm. right? Because we were out on the water. That's a plus. <laughs> and for some weird reason, this is probably a story that she'd probably go, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to give this insider information. But she would literally, I go through the script. And if I screwed up, she would yoink out leg hair on me. <gasps> what? Oh, yeah. oh man. <laughs> so, and I'd have to start from the top again every time. Man. And, Hashtag me too, right there. <laughs> that was a, a little odd way to, to, to train someone. But the training, pain. the training was one learning the script, mm-hmm. which, yeah, as I mentioned, was a little uh, cruel and unusual. Uh, but second was driving the boat. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, the boat was on a track. Sure. As I'm sure most people know, I'm not ruining any surprises. It's not there anymore. <laughs> but they had like these series of levers that you had to, there were two different levers on there and you had to like pull one up when you were going at like one certain speed. But then when you were going a faster speed, you had to crank two up mm-hmm. and you always had to be aware that you had to bring those down. If you're, for some reason, your boat stalled, whether, whether it was because it was part of the show or because the boat in front of you on the track was delayed or, um, you know, loading people on and on, mm-hmm. on and off to the ride sometimes causes delays. You sure. had to be ready to, to be like, Oh, okay. I got to change the lever, you know, but <laughs> right. it was, so we had to do a lot of training after hours mm. riding as a group through the ride over and over and over. And mm. I just, it got repetitive, but you know, it sunk in after a while. Yeah. About how long was the training? Like two weeks, one week? Uh, gosh, I think it was about a week. Cool. Um, it's hard to, re- it's hard to remember back <laughs> 15 plus years ago, but. And it's funny because I was thinking, I guess it doesn't really matter because if someone's listening to this and they want to go work at Jaws, they can't because it's no more. No, unfortunately. Probably find some videos on YouTube, but that's about the closest you're going to get. Sure. Do you remember your first uh, day? Uh, working in front of people at Jaws? No, it was kind of a blur mm-hmm. um, because you had to, I, I think the weirdest part about it was because you always had the uh, the approval person that uh, had to ride yes. mm-hmm. in your in your ride vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, if I recall correctly, and somebody, again, is probably going to tell me, oh, this wasn't her name. I think her name was Mimi. 
she rode in the the boat with us standing in the back, you know, listening to every little detail. And it was kind of wow. nerve wracking sure. because she gave off the impression that, uh, again, not being familiar with acting, not really making that my forte. I didn't know what an approval process really right. was. Right, so I'm right. just kind of like going with it, trying to have fun, trying mm. to keep the guests entertained. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was different. And, uh, the rotations. Did you ever work in attractions? I forget. No, I did not. No. Okay. So each attraction kind of had its rotation board mm-hmm. where there would, they would group you up in teams of four where every 15 minutes you would switch position. Mm-hmm. And um, typically there would be one where like, you're like greeter, your loader, mm-hmm. your boat, then right. your break, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be something like that. Sure. And so I think, I probably personally had a harder time dealing with the greeter and trying to meet everybody as they came. Hi, how are you? Hello, hello, how? How do you do? <laughs> you know, because they they instilled in us from the onboarding thing that happened my very first day of the orientation mm-hmm. that like, oh yeah, we've got people in the park that are watching to make oh, sure that right. you're always greeting yes. people. Yes. So like <laughs> that was awkwardly more of a concern of mine that it was remembering the the details of the the jaws spiel script you know which you know was very detailed all about chief brody and all that kind of jazz sure. but you know wow uh that sounds like a lot of multitasking do you think you got <laughs> properly compensated <laughs> for doing that job at the time i felt like it was better because my very first job i ever had as a grocery bagger i only made five dollars and 15 cents an hour (laughs) so the fact that i had moved up a whole two dollars and ten cents higher than where i started back during my workday grind i felt like i was doing something good but you know it was a it was a it's a good entry-level position sure sure well, uh, before we move on, any more fun stories or memories of working at Jaws? I just remember one time when I worked at Jaws, I had to move from, I had just gotten off a break and I had to go to the greeter position. Mm-hmm. And you know how there are seagulls all over the place. Sure. And one of them decided to unload <laughs> on me oh, as I was no. literally walking from break to the front uh-huh. and I was more concerned about screwing up the rotation oh. where when I ran into the lead, I said, he goes, what's on your shirt? And I was like, the bird pooped on me. I think it was seagull. Mm-hmm. And he goes, dude, go change your shirt. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. So, I mean, that was probably the, the main memory. And then uh, another thing at jaws, you know, it's like elements of the ride would break down all the time. Sure. So like when the jaw, when the shark wouldn't jump up, uh-huh. it got really awkward and <laughs> lots of, in, in your training manual, they gave you a list of like scenario, this, say this scenario, say that, um, they had a few in there for the shark, but they were not long enough to fill the gap Right when, when, when it would break down for long periods of time. So it was, uh. It definitely helped me. Remember how I was saying earlier about how I was nervous back in high school Mm -hmm. about things. It helped me loosen the nerves quite a bit, having to turn it on and keep those guests entertained. I want to try something fun real quick. All right. I'm going to be I'm going to be Jaws and I'm going to jump Uh out of the water and I'm going to freeze 
and I want you, I want to see your uh, improv skills. Okay? Oh, crap. It's here been we, a while. All right, here we go. Oh, man. Oh, oh look at those pearly whites. That is so beautiful. Anybody got a toothbrush? You <laughs> said toothbrush on this uh, guy right here. He's looking a, looking a little stiff. We need some uh, stuff to uh, relax those muscles a little bit. I'm, uh, we could probably do something. Um, all right. If he's just going to hang out here, we might as well just hang out. How are y'all doing today? How's the cruise training, you folks? Brilliant. He's still got it, ladies and gentlemen. He's I still tried. Got I tried. It. That probably wasn't the best. Mimi. Mimi would be sad. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. That's beside the point. So what uh, led to your you leaving Jaws? Well, um, I can't remember the exact timeline, but I remember when I was in working at Jaws in the break room, Mm -hmm. there was a flyer on the bulletin board that talked about entertainment auditions. Um, Obviously, it wasn't one of the things they brought up when I went to the job fair. It was mostly filling a bunch of, you know, frontline. Sure. You know, type of positions. And um, I remember seeing they had a posting up there. The positions that they were uh, auditioning for at the time were the extreme Ghostbusters mm. uh, show that happened at the New York facade. Uh, yep. You know, I saw that Beetlejuice was on there and I was like, hmm, that looks like it could be fun. Yeah. I didn't. I can't remember if I actually auditioned that time because remember how they had that like uh you had to be in a certain position for X number of months before you could even consider moving to a different part place in the park. So I, I think I was still within that range. I might've gone to the audition anyway. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Oh, well, you know, you haven't been here long enough. So thank you. Wow, but that's, no, thank you. That's rough. It was, but then randomly, I remember I got a phone call one day. I was still working at jaws mm-hmm. and I got a phone call one day and it was like, Hey, this is universal entertainment. And I was like, Okay. And they were like, uh, would you be interested in coming in to read for Barney? And I was like, Barney the dinosaur? And they're like, they're like, no, close. Uh, Barney Rubble. And I was like, oh, okay. Still prehistoric, you know, dinosaurs and stuff like that. But <laughs> I was like, sure, I'll, I'll come in. And so, you know, again, I had, this is kind of out of the blue. And I just went to meet with a few people. I think there were three of them. I forget who it was exactly, but uh, that little building that was right near the little security guard hut where they did a lot of the auditions at the yeah, time. Oh, I know it well. <laughs> <laughs> so I was out there and we were outside because something else was going on. I think a dance rehearsal of some sort in the inside. Mm-hmm. And they were like, all right, here's your uh, side. And again, not being a trained actor, I don't know what the heck a side is. Right. It was just a freaking sheet of paper <laughs> with a bunch of stuff on it. And they were like, yeah, just, uh, you know, read that in character. And I was like, do I need to memorize it first or what, what do I need to do? And they were like, no, just read it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Now I don't know if you, were you ever handed any sides when you worked at universal? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So a lot of those sides were the corniest, sure. corniest things. And this one was specifically about how Barney was trying to get our new engagement ring or a wedding ring or something. Mm-hmm. He was trying to get some jewelry for Betty right. and he was just praising his best friend, Fred. And it was just weird. And they were like, just read it. And I was <laughs> like, okay. And so I'm like, do I read it as Barney? Like what? It, again, not a trained actor. I love it. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, sure. So I read the goofy thing and then I do the little Barney laugh, <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, okay, cool. And that was it. So you knew how to do that laugh. 
before you went in? Well, I mean, I had watched the Flintstones. I mean, most of us had. I mean, I think they used to run like reruns on like TNT before they moved it all over to Cartoon Network. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was very familiar with the Flintstones. But obviously, you know, being that the first attraction, as I mentioned earlier, that I went on Mm -hmm. when we were at Universal was Hanna-Barbera. Full circle, man. Again, it was like, whoa. But like, (laughs) I knew... The Flintstones, yeah. I knew the Jetsons, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the Barney laugh isn't really the most difficult laugh to do. It you know? pays to know you're Hanna-Barbera. That's what I tell everyone I meet. Um, <laughs> but uh, a question here for you. Uh, yeah, what's up? What is it that you think prompted that phone call? Do you think, I don't know, maybe someone from entertainment uh, maybe rode Jaws and saw you and they were like, this is our Barney. Did you ever figure out the how or the why of it? I honestly don't know, but I did run into two other people that had gotten that exact same phone call. Mm -hmm. One other person that I worked with at Jaws and one other person that had worked in entertainment that years later kept giving me crap and saying I stole his job. And I was like, okay, I get it. Um, Sorry. (laughs) I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to steal your job, but you know, even then at the time, I didn't even know I had the job. I didn't even think I had the job. Right. You didn't even know it existed. <laughs> no, I didn't. I mean, honestly, when you work where Amity was, mm-hmm. where um, the new Harry Potter stuff is now, it's so far removed from where the Flintstones hung out mm-hmm. that it was such a rare occasion that you would actually see them in the first place. All right. So you, Matt Smith, the non-actor, mm-hmm. is now being cast in the role of uh, Barney Rubble. How was training? Well, rewinding just a little bit, I had gone to a costume fitting mm-hmm. back in the fall of 2004. Oh, good. I want to hear about this. And um, I had to put on that, which basically amounts to a potato sack and sandals. It's <laughs> all that you're wearing. Wow. And I mean, you're wearing something underneath, but that was always <laughs> an ongoing joke with the guests that would come up and be like, Barney, what are you wearing? Ha ha ha. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Like, that's sexual um, harassment, sir. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays, you know, <laughs> yeah, you could, exactly. back then people were just, oh, man, they oh, the 90s, the man, you can oh, get away with anything. Oh, dear. <laughs> So I did that, and um, I was still working at Jaws at the time after I did mm-hmm. the costume fitting. But then I saw that there was another audition, and I was outside of the realm of when I could actually check out other positions. Mm-hmm. And they were hiring people to work in the Macy's Holiday Parade. Ah. I went to that because some people told me, oh, yeah, that's a great segue into entertainment. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, cool, awesome. <laughs> so. So I signed up, I got, became one of the gajillion people that worked the parades and I had to be a creepy looking clown that basically worked with those uh, giant hamster wheel things that they had Mm -hmm. where I was one of the taller people and they had shorter people that would get inside of them. I had to be the ones that had to maneuver it around, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. That's beside the point. So basically I, I worked the whole holiday season doing the the Macy's parade and then and I kept pressuring the stage manager at the time I was like look I came in for my uh costume fitting months ago like are we moving forward with this (laughs) like I I think that because I was so persistent in coming to be like hey what are we doing is there something coming of this right I don't know if they actually planned on having me be Barney or if my persistence just they went uh just 
give this guy Barney. You annoyed them you know? into it. That's great. Probably, probably. <laughs> I don't know what was going on, but I was like, this is an easy, it seemed like an easy enough gig compared to, you know, having to memorize all that stuff sure. uh, working on Jaws. But let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the parade. Um, okay. Yeah. Did you, let's rewind. Did you enjoy working that? I did enjoy the parade. Um, the only thing that the number of days you had to work, mm-hmm. You literally, God, I don't even know if I had a day off during that whole time, but the wow. way that they got away with it was that you were only working like four or five hour shifts a day. Uh, yes. So by working seven, five hour shifts, you were still under the 40 hours, no OT, anything like Man. that. So I think I worked basically every single day from, forgive me, I don't remember the exact dates, but it started in like November and went all the way through Christmas, probably up till New Year's, a couple days after New Year's Day, I believe. Mm-hmm. I worked like every single day. Wow. And I, I, but I, I had fun with the fact that, you know, I would hang, I hang out with other uh, people that were a part of the parade. Sure. And then, but because I didn't have, well, did I have a car at that point? I did have a car at that mm-hmm. point. Was when I first started working at Jaws, didn't have a car, got stuck downtown Orlando during Hurricane Charlie, but that's a totally different story. <laughs> Won't even get into that. Um, ha- drove my car. I didn't see the point in coming there only for a few hours to do the parade. Mm-hmm. So I would spend my time doing other things. Sure. Rewinding a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was interested in the Beetlejuice position that was opened up mm-hmm. back when I worked at Jaws. Mm-hmm. Started spending my days before the parade watching kind of like I did when I was at jaws smart man watching what other people did in the shows it honestly probably ended up hurting me in the long run because I think a lot I I'm sure you've had other guests on this show before that have talked about the term theme park groupies yeah it's floated around I think and they they thought you were one I got misconstrued as a theme park groupie <laughs> Because I would be at so many shows, Ah. I would go see a few shows before my shift. Mm -hmm. And if there were shows after my shift, I would go see it again. So they just assumed. And, you know, in all honesty, it was probably the crowd I was hanging out with. A lot of them didn't have the same intentions I did of Mm. being in the show. They just, oh, we're at the park, blah, blah, blah. So I got grouped into this, quote unquote, groupie group. Yes. It wasn't you know, the love of the show or the actors in the show that was motivating Matt Smith. It was the money. (laughs) It was the money. Yeah. Because as we can rewind a little bit, there was way more money working shows, especially shows. And now what Beetlejuice's rock and roll graveyard review had pyro in it. Mm -hmm. So just being in that show and that there were explosives on the stage, Mm -hmm. He got paid an extra little couple coins wow. for being in that show. Well, I want to so. hear uh, all about that. We'll later. get to that. We'll yes. get to that. Yes, Sorry. We will. No, it's okay. Shark. No worries. Uh, so where, all right. So you're still in the parade and yes, I'm glad you brought up uh, compensation because what was the compensation for the parade at the time? Oh man. I think I maybe made close to $8, maybe God. $9 man for parade work. I man, I just <laughs> in Florida, oh, but I, I understand you were young, you needed the mm-hmm. money uh, and it was a leg in. So, you know, I understand all those reasons. So 
I'm just trying to put together the timeline here. While you were working that, you kept pressuring them to become Barney Rubble. And then you eventually got a call. Is that how it went down? Yeah, we went in there and they basically, after a while, I just kept, I don't want to say pestering because that sounds so negative. Right. Like I didn't, I I just thought, well, I came in for the costume fitting. Doesn't that mean the next thing is training and getting out in the park? You know, so I wanted to get out in the park and I was like, just come on, let's uh, get the show on the road. So I basically, you know, it was March of 20, what was that? 20, 2005. Mm-hmm. And um, after the, the parade was over, I, I remember they were like, okay, yeah, here's your training date. They said it. I was like, awesome. I went to uh, Costco or BJ's, uh, whatever it was. Uh-huh. And I bought the box sets of the, the Hannah Barb or the Flintstone shows. So I could right. catch up on everything that was available at that time. So you were excited then to, use- I was excited yeah. about it, mm-hmm. but um, just like all the things that I did. So like rewinding a little bit, when I worked at Jaws, mm-hmm. I would watch Jaws and the other Jaws sequels that, you know, were probably lesser known the deeper you get into the Jaws movies. <laughs> right. But just to have that knowledge, because there would be guests that would ask you a lot of questions. Sure. Didn't happen as much as Jaws as it did once I became a Flintstone. Right. You didn't want to be stumped by somebody. You had to be knowledgeable of the the character you were portraying. And again, I, I suddenly became a, a not being actor uh, qualified, but I was just like, I just, this is what the things I would do. If I were in the park, I would try to ask a question right? and you wouldn't want to be stumped. Sure, so sure. just a lot of prep. Um, that reminds me, I should totally watch all those again because <laughs> you know, they are gold and it has mm-hmm. been 60 ish years, about a year shy of 60 years since a Flintstones debuted. Wow. That's freaking crazy. Man, you really know your stuff. 1961. <laughs> That's great. So, uh, what was uh, the training like for you? I mean, obviously, you know, they wanted you to be knowledgeable. So, you've already started uh, boning up on your, uh, on your Flintstones trivia. Yep. And uh, so, you show up for the first day of rehearsal. And what is it like? Well, the first day of rehearsal was interesting. Um, Obviously, we were the live action Flintstone characters. Mm -hmm. We weren't from the cartoon. But again, I watched them all just to be knowledgeable. But they basically wanted us to be knowledgeable of the live action movies. Mm -hmm. Now, because I was younger at the time, I was only 20 years old. Mm -hmm. The live action movie that was probably closest suited to that was the Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas, Mm -hmm. which was the one that had Stephen Baldwin as Barney Rubble. And, um, you know, kind of the how everybody got to know each other, blah, blah, blah. And I had to, that's why I'm sure you've seen the pictures of how I had like the parted down the middle haircut Mm -hmm. with the, you know, bowl looking haircut parted down the middle thing going on. So that was the Barney I was supposed to be knowledgeable of, but I had never seen Viva Rock Vegas. (laughs) So I literally got to spend the first few hours I was there. And I think that movie's only an hour and a half ish. Mm -hmm. And I watched that. And then uh, then I had to observe sets. They gave me this fun little flyer that literally had not a flyer, but it was like a uh, a packet of Flintstones information where 
somebody obviously did the research because they had every single like brief hypnosis of every single episode of the Flintstones on there and the basic gist of the movies written on there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that was one of the things I just took home and I'm I'm sure I still got that document laying around here somewhere, to be Mm -hmm. honest. But, um, it was one of those things that you just kind of freshened up on. And, you know, I observed a lot of what was going on, uh, at the time. Um, I don't know if we name drop in this show, but John Connon was the um, was uh, Barney Rubble that day. So I was uh, watching him. Uh, hopefully, he's listening right now. <laughs> I hope um, so. Reconnect with me on Facebook, buddy. But, um, <laughs> we'll but, do uh, lunch. <laughs> yeah, virtually right now. Sure, um, yeah. yeah. So I had to watch a lot of his sets and uh, just kind of get a gist for you know what it was to be a. Uh, atmosphere character mm-hmm. at Universal, which uh, at the time there weren't a whole bunch of atmosphere characters, at least in Universal Studios. Right. There were more in Islands of Adventure, I felt like, than there were in Universal Studios. But sure. that was kind of the the training was obs- day one was observe. Mm-hmm. Day two was basically trying to get you know, going through a few lines, you know, th- things like that, wearing the costume around uh, things like that. So nothing, uh, nothing crazy. Nothing you, nothing you couldn't handle. So when it came time for your approval, you weren't kind of on edge like you were back at Jaws or. No. The, okay. So the thing about getting into entertainment and approvals is that I was in a, like an ensemble group mm-hmm. when I did mine. So if you've ever watched the Flintstones, you know that Fred is the loudest. Right. And most of the people that I would work beside that would be Fred were pretty loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wilmas and the Bettys would do their laughs and the, oh, Fred, and all that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I was kind of quiet. I still hadn't really gotten used to jumping right out there and doing it. So the training was more of a, Matt, you got to be the conversation starter oh. because half the time, it was somebody else had already picked it up and you'd just be like, Hey, I'm Barney. Right. You know, that'd be, I didn't mean to jump into character voices right there, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I enjoyed just it. Like, <laughs> people would come up and you'd be like trying to introduce yourself and stuff like that. But meanwhile, they had already met the whole group and you were just the last one there. So mm-hmm. there were, I remember one of the things that I forget and I don't want to call it any names to get the timing wrong, mm-hmm. but the purse people I was with, challenged me to that entire set when I actually did my approval thing to be the one that started the conversation every single time, uh, which, which helped and made it better. Cause I think there were one or two show directors walking around that watched. And um, I mean, to be Barney, it's really about just talking like the character right. and doing the laugh every once in a while. Sure. And as long as you got that down, I feel like people are happy when they come <laughs> to meet the Flintstones. I mean, usually when you have a big line you're not carrying on a huge conversation sure. anyway you're saying like hey where are you from oh and then you throw in some sort of like dinosaur joke a rock pun. To, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh and it, like the overused oh you're from texas oh you're from t-rexus you know it's just like <laughs> oh yeah you know there are so many corny cliches that we did but i mean that is hanna-barbera cartoons in a nutshell anyway but uh it sounds like you enjoyed the role for the most part I did enjoy it. You know, that was a lot of fun. And I got to meet a lot of people that I continue to still consider friends to this day. 
um, that were a part of that. And uh, it was just a, a really fun group. And I felt like everybody was just so much more energy and much more fun than the people that when I worked in attractions, mm-hmm. I mean, nothing against them as people, but it was so much like, Oh, I just got off my rotation <laughs> for my 15 minute break. <laughs> you know, whereas in, in atmosphere, you know, you spent, what was it like 30 on 30 off or something yeah, like that? Yeah, unless yeah. it was like scorching. Sure. And so you would, you'd get to know these people better. It's just a lot more fun. I mean, being a 20 year old kid, when I first got in there, it was like, woo, I'm hanging out with these cool people. Most mm. of them are 10 plus years older than me. Right. You know, they're, they're showing me the ropes. So they think I'm cool, I guess. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're just, we're just having a, a good time. It was, it was fun. And there was a TV in the breakthrough <laughs> right there's no tvs for the most part in attractions wow just, uh, i just dropped a bomb on your <laughs> listeners but that's it's pretty true there are tvs in entertainment yeah to keep you entertained during your breaks well i haven't had a lot of people from attractions unfortunately it's uh usually people like yourself that maybe started out there and then, you know, weaseled their way into another role, uh, either entertainment or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, well, you paint, you definitely paint a, a fun picture. How long did you do Barney for? I was Barney up until, I can't remember if it was that year in 2005, but they had the major entertainment cuts. Mm. And I believe it was the fall of that year mm-hmm. in 2005 um they ended up you know canning the flintstones canning popeye and olive Mm. Uh, i think lucy and desi got uh cut at the time too so i was it was very disappointing very disappointing because i just gotten into entertainment and um there weren't a lot of things to do i mean it was even a struggle for me to to become an atmosphere escort Mm -hmm. Uh, that was a struggle to get the shifts on the days where I, because I was basically considered the third string Barney rubble among the two. Cause there was the, the 32 hour, the 24 hour, and then there was me. And so I didn't get shifts, but once every blue moon, you know, basically. So in order to get shifts, I was one be be trained as a entertainment atmosphere escort. Mm -hmm. And two, I started, uh, I don't know if you, you probably haven't ever done this because you weren't in attractions, but they had this thing where you could call into this number and any of the attractions that were short staffed, they can, they called it rescuing mm-hmm. where you would fill in as that because wow. I had that jaws experience. Uh-huh. I was able to fill in at different places in the park. And I think there were only a handful among the both parks mm-hmm. of attractions that I never ended up rescuing at, but I got experience basically on the front line of every single attraction again with the exception of a small handful just to get well shifts. let's talk about um how you the day you received the news that uh that you were no longer going to be barney like how did it go down okay so that was a crazy day um a lot of people in entertainment between animated and atmosphere were doing a group trip to disney world <laughs> to epcot to drink around the world Ooh. now Keep in mind, my birthday's in July, and I mm-hmm. started Barney in months, just months before I turned 21. 
my first major like going out and uh, having a drink time was drinking around the world. <laughs> wow. We started in Mexico and we found out the bad news. Everybody in this group <gasps> as a collective started getting texts and phone calls. Oh my gosh. Once we got to the United Kingdom slash Eng- England mm-hmm. pavilion. Wow. And everybody was just down in their dumps. Some people were hitting the pub. Dang. Literally, the English pub. Yeah. Everybody was like, what? What does this mean? I don't understand. Because I think some animated characters got axed at that point, too. Wow. Or at least put on hiatus until they eventually came back. Sure. But um, that was a crazy, crazy day. What were your first thoughts? I can't believe this. Why are they cutting the, these characters? Yeah. You have so few characters to begin with. Right. Why are you cutting these ones? And and the reason why all this cutting was happening was, I mean, it, this is before the recession. Do you know why? Why all the characters were being cut? Uh, I don't I don't want to hypothesize too much, but mm-hmm. I, th- I think it had to do with the fact that at the time, uh, Universal Orlando was still owned by multiple entities, mm-hmm. unlike now where it's owned, uh, I believe, 100 percent by Comcast. Um, yep. I may be wrong. You're right. But um, at the time, I believe GE and Blackstone mm-hmm. owned like 50 50 or maybe 51 49. I forget what it was. But right. obviously somebody wanted to make budget cuts to uh, appease the shareholders. Right. You know how the business world works. Sure. And um, yeah, they they cut the positions and it was it was scary. But thankfully, between the time that I had gotten Barney and the time Barney got removed, I had already started training at Beetlejuice. So it wasn't such a big deal to me. Nice. And when did you when did you know you were going to start at Beetlejuice? I believe it was August or September of 2005. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, right Again, forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but the the other thing obviously happened after I already knew I was going to be at Beetlejuice. Right. Yeah, it was around that time, around the mm-hmm. fall of 2005. It was shortly after my birthday, and uh, we had some family things, but I won't delve into that. Nobody wants mm-hmm. to hear about my family, uh, my parents getting divorced around that time too. Oh, that was a, oh no! Yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a whole other thing. I'm not gonna oh. I'm not trying to make light of it or get too deep into sure, that, but sure. that uh, created a very weird Matt at that age, right? But, you know, so trade losing the Barney mm-hmm. being Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. It was just, am I even allowed to say that? Or do I have to say I'm friends with Beetlejuice? Oh no, we're, we're, we're not all about Barney that. Friends okay. with BS. Okay. We're all okay. we're about reality here on Theme all right. Park I'm Legends. just trying to, I'm just trying to make sure I don't want to offend anybody or, uh, <laughs> you know, I know that it seems like that's only become a thing in recent years. Maybe the last five, 10 years that you've had to say that more? Well, all right. So I just recently, uh, my employment ended at Disneyland and they said you weren't even allowed to say that anymore, like online, that people Mm. knew what it meant now that you just, I don't know, you just couldn't say anything about the character that you were playing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, But uh, anyway, so you're you're Beetlejuice now. What kind of training the and this is in the Beetlejuice that is in the Rock and Roll Graveyard Review, right? Yeah, I think they had cut the. I honestly think the other one was also a part of those cuts mm-hmm. um, for the the. It might have been beforehand. I don't know. I'm not mm-hmm. a. I don't have a timeline in front of me, sure. but uh, I w- 
had auditioned for Beetlejuice. Obviously, I'd seen it a gajillion times, having been in that quote unquote groupie bunch, uh, you know, watching the show. So I knew it pretty well. Um, the training was we watched the show a few times because there were other people we were training with that were doing the different characters. And so a lot of it was just refresher to me watching it. And then it was like, all right, let's go try on our costumes. Mm -hmm. Here's a script. But then again, I'm not a trained actor Mm -hmm. and I'm certainly not a trained dancer. Oh yeah. That was going to be my, uh, and my next question because I've never seen that show Uh, for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. I was just never motivated to go. But yeah, isn't there singing and dancing involved? Not so much singing for at least for Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. He had a track on YMCA that you could lip sync with and you could, you know, get a few lines in there and, and the, you know, parts he wasn't singing that you could get in there. But um, it uh, the dancing, though, there was a lot more dancing than I expected. Now, mm-hmm. I had seen the show several times, so I had an idea Sure. Of what the dances were going to be, but having to do that and people being like, okay, five, six, seven, eight. That's not really me. That's not me. Right. I'm, not a, I'm not a dancing <laughs> professional. You're not going to find me on Dancing with the Stars down the line. Right. But, you know, it's like, uh, but I felt like the the lucky part about being a character like Beetlejuice and being the, the quote, host with the most, ghost with the most, all of the mm-hmm. above, you know, is that being a little off. You know, whether it's, okay. it's with your dance moves, yeah. like it just kind of looked like part of the character, like you were almost like mimicking or mocking what the other characters were doing in it. So it it wasn't so bad. I mean, I I didn't want to be a dancer. I, <laughs> I didn't mind. I didn't mind learning the moves, but it I, like I'm not a. I'm not a pro with the, with this dancer stuff, but you got through it anyway, right? I got through it anyway. There is video of it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, up on YouTube. Uh-huh. If you want to watch the show, it doesn't even exist in the parks. Both, mm. both that version and the more recent version aren't in that, you know, it's unfortunate, but um, it's gone for now. So who knows? It might come back. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, man, what was that like performing that? Uh, if not for the first time, I mean, just what was it like doing that show for you? It was fun because I, I just felt like I could go out there and be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I enjoyed this show a bunch, being able to go out there and, you know, crack goofy jokes. And a lot of them were reused and stuff like that. And, right. you know playing around with the, you know, the fake maracas with the, with the tiny shrunken heads on it and stuff like that. Like that stuff was fun, but um, yeah, overall it was good. But again, I was so far down the totem pole that I only did that, that show once in a blue moon too. And rewinding a little bit to the groupie thing from before a lot of the other performers that worked there, unfortunately had uh misconception i know a lot of it was my fault too because Mm -hmm. i did hang out with a bunch of people when i went to the shows back when i was at the macy's parade but a lot of them uh i think were kind of like why is this groupie in the show now like that and i didn't you never could shake that never could shake that you know so while you were doing beetlejuice were you also uh doing escort work at the time Uh, I believe so. Yes. There were a few times where I remember one day it was crazy. I started as an, I was scheduled to be an escort. I ended up being Barney. I was Barney half a day. And then I had got pulled over to be Beetlejuice for the second half of the day. So that was a, a wacky day, but, um, 
I, I feel like that's just part of the being a performer when you work at a theme park is, uh, oh, there's a hole over there. Okay, fill that hole. Sure, know? absolutely. And uh, in case this is the first time you've ever heard people talking about uh, escorting at Universal Orlando, it's basically like being a character attendant. Cutting off the lines, all that jazz, mm-hmm. you know, telling people, we'll be back later. And they're like, one more for the baby. And you're like, I've heard that every single day. Get away from me. <laughs> you know? But Yeah. Sure. All right. So you're escorting and working at uh, Beetlejuice. A bunch of people just got cut. And um, so take it from there. I had auditioned for a friend of mine that I worked with in the Macy's Parade had gotten a job at the Nickelodeon Hotel, which was... Uh, in Orlando as well. Um, and I went and auditioned for that and nothing came of it. Nothing came of it. Still nothing came of it. <laughs> and it was like, you know, you go to an audition, it, it's like history kept repeating itself. I go to something, nobody follows up with me and I'm just right. like, what is going on? Um, I think Mark that's Stel- par for the course, like for everyone, not just <laughs> you. I don't know. There's a few people I've had on this show who seem to get hired like at the audition. But then there's the wow. rest of us. <laughs> like I, those people live a charmed life, I guess. Um, but what did you at, like audition for and what did you have to do at the Nick Hotel? I didn't really remember what exactly it was I was auditioning for because at the time I was just looking for hours and shifts sure. and, you know, especially with Universal kind of cutting back on the uh, the positions and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, making money was a big deal. And there were a few other people I knew that had different jobs, whether it was Universal and Disney or um, in this case, Universal and Nickelodeon Hotel that, um, you know, they were bringing in multiple paychecks. And again, going back to one, got to get that money. Right. And so I was <laughs> like, uh, you know, I don't mind making a little extra money and having sure. a secondary job. So, you know, I was a, a auditioning and applying, whatever you want to call it. Right. Other things. And I think they made us do like a tiny dance number. Okay. Every every single thing it seems like you audition for in Orlando requires some sort of dance. I hate Whether dancing it's a, so much. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's a tiny dance or a more elaborate dance, mm-hmm. um, I won't even get into it. The one time uh, when I auditioned for the Bill and Ted show and having to learn that dance for the mm-hmm. audition, uh, that was nuts. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Um, there's always a dance, seems sure, like. Sure. And then you had to uh, show a tiny little bit of improv skills, if I recall correctly from that. <laughs> I and, think uh, improv's a little more important than dancing, yeah. but that's just my <laughs> <Yeah>. opinion. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently. I, yeah. don't, I, I mean, I I think the improv makes some people laugh. The dancing, for the most part, makes people go, what are they doing? Right. Especially right. in a place like, like Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand all the dancing things as part of the stage shows. Yeah. Because... You know, you watch those classic game shows on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. How many dance numbers were you seeing? I don't remember any dancing in Nick Arcade. No. If, <laughs> uh, and if Mark Summers on Family Double Dare started dancing, I mean, we'd be <laughs> I would, like, what I would the change heck? the channel. That's what <laughs> yeah, I do. Exactly. What is this? Yeah. But uh, so you got a call eventually from the Nick Hotel. What did they offer you? Well, what happened was I was dating somebody at the time and she had gotten a job as a character performer mm-hmm. at the hotel. Okay. And at one point they were talking about, Oh, we're going to have another audition coming up for more positions. 
And she said, oh, hey, my boyfriend, um, he auditioned for here. He'd probably do good. Well, for some reason, they still had all the details in the sheets from when I auditioned before. And they go, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, he'd actually be good for this position, mm-hmm. which was actually part of the live stage show, you know, not in a character costume. So right. she got a little offended that I was I was able to <laughs> hop over that hurdle of having to be a, a costume performer and getting to go straight to the, the live show and be myself. It would have been which, great uh, if they were just, if they would have just been like, Oh, this guy's even better than you bring him on over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know, whatever we eventually yeah. broke up obviously, ah, but, um, cause you were better than her. That's why apparently, apparently <laughs> when it came to Nickelodeon stuff, but sure. uh, you know, again, I, um, started working at Nickelodeon, uh, the mm. stage shows, mm-hmm. um, they did uh, stage shows inside the little studio that they had there. And then they also right. had a lot of shows that they did on the pool deck, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, slime and uh, stuff like that. Pie, lots of freaking pie yeah, sure. that we had to make every single day. You know, the Dunkin' Donuts man makes the donuts. <laughs> we made the freaking pie first thing in the morning. So uh, just um, for someone like me, who's uh, never seen the show that you're talking about, Mm-hmm. I mean, you're basically the host of this show, and it's basically just a big uh, audience interaction kind of thing. So I was at the time I did not qualify to be the host. Usually there was one host, and there were four of uh, picture in Family Double Dare, where after they would do an event, mm-hmm. the people would come in with the towels and help the families out and stuff like that. You'd yeah. still be on the stage and part of the overall show. Sure. But you weren't the the main event mm-hmm. of it. And so at the time, uh, that's what I was. So I trained on that for a while. And did it uh, pay okay? Gosh, I can't remember exactly. I think it was eight twenty five an hour, which was more than what I was making escorting at Universal. Sure. So yeah. it was okay. that alone made me go, okay, I'll take full time at Nickelodeon versus seven. It might have been seven seventy five at the point at, at Universal versus sure. eight twenty five at Nickelodeon. But um, that actually started what became a two-year period of me working every single day for two straight years between wow. both jobs. Oh, my. That's crazy. But the money was great. The money was great. <laughs> Who needs to rest when you're making money? <laughs> I mean, you you found out. I'm sure you remember from the old, old Shrek break room that it was all dark and you could actually take a nap in there. And oh, nobody yeah. Would bother you. Oh, I've napped there many a time. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So you've got this big, long stretch of like working at both parks. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you still doing Beetlejuice at Universal as well? So what happened was, and this was uh, an unfortunate incident. They changed the show at Beetlejuice around maybe a month after I got the job. No, actually, it was the month I got the job at Nickelodeon because I remember I came from the job at Nickelodeon where I had just gotten my new uh, clothes and stuff like that. And I had worn over the one shirt. It was like a bright neon green shirt. Mm-hmm. Was at the audit or at the rehearsals. We're going through it, blah, blah, blah. The stage manager had changed at Beetlejuice okay. since the last time I had been there. Come to find out. She had recently been fired from the Nickelodeon Hotel. It was now the stage manager at Beetlejuice. Wow. So it eventually, that along with the whole groupie crap and certain people there not liking me um, because of one being considered a groupie and two having my MySpace little 
post that I used to make and I was mad about, yes. so, mad about something one day and I posted something and uh-huh. ticked off the whole group that I worked with there, unfortunately. Uh, wow. I am apologetic. Uh, one of these days, hopefully I'll reach out to the person that I scorned. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he doesn't hold it against me. But just to wrap it up or to put a button on it. So you got fired because of MySpace and politics. I was no longer going to be training for the new show at Beetlejuice. It wasn't did they tell you this? Did they email you? How did it go down? Oh, they told me in person. They called me into the office of the stage manager and uh, a couple people, the show director and the stage manager told me, uh, you know, you're just not fulfilling whatever. And I honestly think, and again, I know it's because at the time, young Matt dealing with the fact that my parents had just gotten divorced and stuff like that. Mm. I had a lot of stupid crap going on at the time. I don't want to be cliche and be like, Oh yeah. The me of 10 years ago is not the me today, but it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of true, you know? And uh, I, I think people just were like, how did this originally remember me saying, how'd this groupie get in here? Now they're like, how can we get this guy out of here? Aww. So it all, I mean, at the end of the day, I was done doing Beetlejuice. I got to do it for about a year. It was fun. You can never take that off my resume, um, but I enjoyed it. And then at that point, I started working full time at Nickelodeon. And so it really wasn't that big of a deal. I was still making money. Yeah. So for money motivated Matt, like when they told you that, like you weren't, I mean, were you crestfallen or were you just like, oh, that's okay. I got this other job. I was pretty disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I wanted to at least talk about it and be like, well, do I get a second chance? Is there something I can freshen up on? Is there something specific I wasn't doing right? And I never felt like I got a specific answer about mm-hmm. what it was that I didn't bring to the table. Cause again, like I said before, I researched that character so much. Sure. You know, I probably watched Beetlejuice so many times to the point where when we did have meet and greets, I remember there was one time I signed my name the way it's supposed to be spelled with the B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. Right. And somebody looked at me and they went, what are you doing? Just write BJ. And I was like, (laughs) BJ? Like, are you kidding me? One, that's gross. Two, like there is another BJ in the park at the Barney thing. You know, the Barney show had Bebop and or. Bebop? That's a that's a Ninja Turtle. Baby Bop. Baby <laughs> Baby Bop and BJ were the uh-huh. other characters along with Barney the Dinosaur. So what sense in to me did it make to write BJ when there's another BJ in the park? But somebody had a problem with me writing Betelgeis, you know, right. the the like that that's an inside joke for people that have watched uh Beetlejuice too many times. But right, you know, right. Man, look at that like, dedication and attention to detail for someone who doesn't even consider himself an actor. Like, <laughs> I mean, nope. I mean, are you just a born theme park performer or what? Like, I don't know. It's crazy. At the end of the day, it's all about giving people what they're familiar with. Sure. And I think that that's the one thing that I will preach to anybody that works at a theme park is know the character you're portraying and play it to 11. Turn it up to 11, guys. And, it, it, you know, just do what they're familiar with. If you start doing things they're unfamiliar with, they're going to go, that's not so-and-so. And not to dig too deep into this, but, you know, there are a lot of different body types, heights, uh, 
all of the above sure. the different people that played the different characters. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's no consistency. And my biggest concern that if you look at it from the perspective of a guest is that you may be presenting to them at the park, something they're not going to recognize because that wasn't what they saw in either the movie or the TV show or whatever it is. And I felt like sometimes favoritism or friendships trumped character portrayal. Oh yes. I, uh, I definitely felt that way too. Oh, I got deep right there. Oh, there's a deep one. (laughs) All right. So your time as Beetlejuice is over. So now you just, you're an escort at universal, uh, for better or worse, but two days a week at, at universal escorting. Right. And then full time at, uh, the Nick hotel. Are you still the pie presenting guy or pie cleaner guy? What are you doing? We were doing, we were doing pies. We were doing, um, you know, the slime stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually got asked to be, and I think it was shortly after I started there, we did this fun thing that was SpongeBob story time where, um, if you're, if you watched enough SpongeBob SquarePants that you're familiar with the couple of human characters that are on that show, Patchy the Pirate, oh, sure. that is played by Tom Kenny, the same guy that does, does the voice, voice of SpongeBob. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they would do this story time thing where they literally had a children's book. You would go into a group of kids. They would be doing a little arts and crafts. And then, oh, here comes Patchy the Pirate to read a story. Mm-hmm. I read a story and then SpongeBob comes out. And they get to take pictures with SpongeBob. But that was fun to me. I I really enjoyed that interacting with kids Mm -hmm. and doing the Patchy the Pirate thing. Because when I would read the storybook, I would do my best impression I could Mm -hmm. of the different SpongeBob characters. And that always got a bunch of the kids laughing. It's really easy to entertain a child, you know, between like one and eight once they get to nine though it's like nope i'm almost double digits don't bother me (laughs) so true uh did you get uh when you portrayed patchy the pirate did you get actor pay or were you still the old eight something something uh i think i got a little more but i can't remember i think at the time i was just going look, if I do good at this, maybe they'll schedule me at it more. Mm-hmm. And maybe I got paid at my regular pay mm-hmm. the few times that I did it, mm-hmm. knowing that there was a bigger payday. Because um, I think that was considered a host position. So I think you got closer to 12 or $15. I can't as remember. As well you should. As well yeah. you should. I don't remember. I don't have any pay stubs for that anymore. They've all gone to the shredder at this point. <laughs> so um, I wouldn't have saved mine. <laughs> yeah. So they're uh, they're uh, they're gone. I uh, I have no idea, but that was uh, I think I got paid a little more, and it eventually led to me being able to. Uh, they had a stage show too around Christmas time where mm-hmm. I got to be one of the several people that also portrayed Patchy the Pirate. So great, that was fun. So so what you're saying is that things are pretty good for you at this point at the Nick Hotel. Things were doing pretty good, you know, being a part of the show, uh, whether it was day side where you were out at the pool or night side where you're working in the studio. Um, there was it, it was fun. I was working so many hours. Uh, had a, a ton of close friends that I worked with there that, you know, we would always hang out. We would always go to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings at the, the 
50 cent wing Tuesday. So we would always go out <laughs> after, uh, after work. Uh, cause we were right there on one ninety two. Mm-hmm. So we would go over there get some wings. It was a great time. Mm-hmm. Pints for a dollar. You know, you can't beat that. Nope. They also had shots for a dollar, which is dangerous, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's beside the point. Sure. Um, so, but no, it was, it was fun. It was, again, I just kind of felt like I stumbled into this, mm-hmm. You know, it was all about just kind of getting a paycheck. And right. um, I guess one of the things I I'm, I totally overlooked this. Um, when I worked at Universal, one of the other things I did there was I worked as part of the production unit briefly. Okay. Production unit. What is that? So basically. Uh, you mean at the sound stages? Well, not exactly the sound stages, but there was a small, small production unit and one of those trailers way back in the back mm-hmm. that um, they would edit small things. And you know how GE had just taken over. Yeah. Um, so they did a lot of things where they would have like group things. And uh, one time I was a PA for a uh, Buick commercial that Tiger Woods shot there. And um, so at the end of the day, kind of tying it back into the Nickelodeon thing. I was always trying to get into using some, doing something that ultimately used what I went to school for, which at the time, film and video production. So while I was escorting and doing, and Jaws, you know, once in a blue moon, I got to do a random little thing where I was doing production here, production there. And when I went to the Nick hotel, um, one of the gentlemen that worked there, that was a, a show director, he would come in as like a, um, uh, specialist every once in a while. And he would kind of coach us on, he had worked on some of the classic game shows, mm-hmm. uh, that we all remember from Nickelodeon. And, um, I was like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta become friends with this dude so <laughs> that I can, uh, you know, maybe get in with network. That was ultimately my goal was to get in with something that I'd eventually be able to use my skills. Sure what I was doing. So I worked at Nickelodeon for, um, I did about a year and a half of a a performer. And then I got into the, uh, for about eight, nine months, I was a manager there Mm -hmm. in the, uh, what was it? Recreation slash arcade thing that I oversaw for a while. So I was trying to move up the totem pole, right? I knew that performing was not my long-term end goal. So, yeah, you know, I wanted to, be there and have fun. And again, just like all the other things, bought a bunch of DVDs of SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I knew all the shows that were coming in. I used to have the Pantones memorized for the Nickelodeon Orange and the Green. <laughs> you know, like I was that dedicated. They gave us this cool handbook that had all this information about Nickelodeon. Wow. And just like I was all on top. I got to be a host of a few things for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had like slime parties and all these different things. And uh, karaoke host was probably the funniest thing that I did for a while there because <laughs> it was a hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, you would have people come there and they'd do karaoke and that was always fun. And what would typically happen is the way they scheduled the shifts is a lot of times the person that was the host during the game show portions, their shift would have overlapped with something earlier in the day. So they were already out by the time karaoke started. Right. So one of us that were part of the like side entertainment during the regular shows all of a sudden was the host for ah, karaoke. I see. So I got to be the host for karaoke several times, and that was always fun and entertaining. And we did it for regular karaoke. We had a Halloween karaoke at one point. It was they added more dancing in that thing. Why you have dancing <laughs> with karaoke? I don't know. That's beside the point. But um, apparently, somebody thought the guests would like it. 
um, had to sing the monster mash that had a dance to it. That's not oh. often a song that you think of having a dance to it, the monster no. mash. But so how did things uh, end for you at the Nick Hotel? So I got into management. Let me ask you this. How does one get into management? So they had a position opened up mm-hmm. for supervisors. And then there was also an, ass- an assistant manager position opened up in recreation and uh, arcade. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I could have stuck with there was a supervisor of entertainment mm-hmm. and there was a supervisor of recreation slash arcade. However, the assistant manager position was going to pay more. So I was like, oh, well, I might as well get into the supervisor position as this. And then I can eventually maybe work my way up to be the assistant manager, which was kind of what they told me during the interview process that, you know, like it will try out as a supervisor. If you're good, we'll move you up to assistant manager. And I was like, okay, cool. So that's basically what it did. I moved from within. Again, I knew that my time as a performer, you know, I did the I was part of the splat pack doing improv and stuff like that while I was there and I, I felt like it had kind of run its course and it was you know kind of becoming repetitive and in general sometimes I do get bored with doing the same old same old after a while that I was like I need to challenge myself to do something else and if I you know I, I liked Nickelodeon so much that I was like if I can you know, learn it so good. And there was rumors that at the time that they were going to open up a second Nick hotel because mm. Marriott had gotten involved and they were going to open up. They actually did a press conference and everything. It all fell apart when the recession happened, all but right. they were going to open a second hotel in San Diego. Mm-hmm. But that one was going to have sound stages as a part of Ooh. it where they were going to film Nickelodeon shows. Mm-hmm. So forward thinking Matt went, Hey, uh, okay. Get into management get good enough that they'll want to move you to this other hotel. There's sound stages. You can get in with the network <laughs> up and up and up, you know, like That's it all made sense to me. Yeah. Rewinding to what you were saying a second ago about like, you know, what led to the demise of me there at Nickelodeon hotel yes. was that one of the things I was first tasked with when I became the assistant manager of arcade and Nick recreation mm-hmm. was create an event for our teenage guests. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, you know, as I said, we had events that focused on little kids doing arts and crafts. We had events focused on other stuff. So I started thinking, like, what are we going to do? Yeah. What are teenagers like? You know, I'm starting to, like, research, doing market research about what kids like and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, video games, obviously. Right. Now, of course. the problem with the Nick Hotel is every single room had a PlayStation 2 in it. Uh-huh. Keep in mind, the PlayStation 3 had already come out at that point. <laughs> the Wii had already come out at that point. So it's like, okay, we have outdated software, whatever. I got to work around this PlayStation 2. I ended up uh, looking around. What are the most popular games on PlayStation? Number one, Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Number two, God of War. <laughs> Number three, Guitar Hero. Uh-huh. And I went, oh, that's something cool. Yeah, we could play Guitar Hero. But at that time, there was another game by, if you remember that the makers of Guitar Hero split off to one of them, Harmonix, had now gotten involved with EA. Mm -hmm. It started making Rock Band, the video game, that had two guitars, a drum kit, and a microphone. Whoa. (laughs) So thinking from the perspective of getting a lot more kids involved at the mm-hmm. hotel like yeah we could have had one or two kids come up play a song on guitar hero great whatever you know 
you're not getting the the quantity of kids that would be lined up that would want to play. Sure. So Guitar Hero or a rock band, I don't even know if it had come out yet. Right. But me being overzealous, super ambitious, Matt, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the makers of this game. So I got on the phone. I called Harmonix. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, um, work at the Nickelodeon Hotel. We're looking to put an event together for teens. We want to, um, you know, do something that's going to get their attention. We'd really love to highlight your new game. Mm -hmm. And the guy goes, what's your address? (laughs) And I said, what? And he goes, what's the address of the hotel? And I gave him the address and I said, why? And he goes, we're going to send you, we're going to send you the game. We're going to send you guitar. What do you need, man? And I said, oh, wow. I was just calling to see if maybe you had like some guitar pick swag or something <laughs> like that to, to give away to the kids. Cause I had already gotten the, the approval that if I wanted to use this game, we just buy one, you sure. know, for the, for the sure, event. Sure. And, but no, the people at Harmonix, they gave me this long run around and somehow the parent companies were tied to Viacom, which owned part of Nickelodeon and, you know, that whole corporate structure. Right. thing. And so they didn't see a big deal with sending us this stuff. They're like, no, great. And honestly, I probably helped them. I guarantee you every single kid that came through there and played that game for the first time told their mom because I had several parents coming up to me. What's this game? What's this game? What's this game? I guarantee you they either got it for their birthday or Christmas Mm. that year. Made this uh, made a show out of it. Right. Mm. There was like what we did was we held these auditions throughout the day where kids could come up. Uh, we set it up out by the pool. Kids could come up, play the the tunes. They would uh, get a high score. And then we would announce like the top 10 that would come and they would play the concert. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in the either the first few times we did it inside the studio where we did the other Nickelodeon shows. But then eventually we had this giant inflatable screen that they played movies on mm-hmm. regularly at the pool. And we decided we're going to make that the backdrop, this giant thing of your video game behind you. And we're going to set it up like a stage. So we had kids literally coming up there looking like they were jamming out on the side of the pool deck playing this concert. Nice. So a lot of this at this point is stuff that I was, I, from this point in the story is stuff I heard from other people. So none of it's first party. So I just want to make sure I preface that before somebody goes, no, that's not what happened, Matt. You know, I try to be, I try to be as, as truthful and professional as possible. But at that time, Nickelodeon had also gotten to a partnership with, I believe it was Norwegian cruise lines or there was a cruise line where they were going to do a Nickelodeon cruise. Right. Right. And Somehow word had gotten back to network or somebody, hey, the hotel's doing this cool thing with this rock band thing. Um, You know, we should look into it. Mm -hmm. So, again, this is all what I'm hearing from other people. Somebody came in and said, well, who made this? Mm -hmm. Who came up with this thing? Apparently, the director of the department who oversaw both owner t- entertainment and recreation arcade said, Oh, it was a collaborative effort of the entire oh, team. Oh no. So 20, oh gosh, how old was that at the time? 23, 24. I forget how old I was. Mm-hmm. Your old Matt went, 
what? <laughs> I put in all the work to that. Like literally I had a script with sound cues. Like I created all this stuff. We had a soundtrack of all these different songs that played during the pre-show that had the word rock in it. So we had like, um, we will rock you and you know, uh, harder rock and roll, sure, <laughs> you know, sure. stuff like that. And, um, I put a ton of work into that. I still have that script because mm-hmm. that was, you know, one of those things I put a lot of work into and I, Again, I said earlier, my long-term goal was to get to network so that I could use my skills I went to school for. Sure. And um, when I heard that that had happened, again, through the grapevine, Mm -hmm. I scheduled a meeting with the director and my direct boss. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of reversed roles a little bit. You know, sometimes you go into an interview and people go, where do you see yourself in five years? Mm -hmm. I asked both of them, where do you guys see yourself in five years? Okay. And the the director said, I I don't know, probably doing something here. Mm -hmm. And the manager goes, yeah, same, same thing. And I said, look, I see myself using the skills that I went to school for. Mm -hmm. I'm still paying on a student loan for this. I wanted to get to network and it disheartens me to know that I wasn't able to get the credit that I feel like I deserved for putting in all that work on that show. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it, at that point, I think that I, I don't, I'm pretty bold when it comes to asking questions. Mm-hmm. If, if I need to get to the bottom of something, I'd rather go straight to the source. Sure. So in that case, me going straight to the director who apparently was told, said this to the network people that it was a collaboration of the entire department. I, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I, I was like, this was my shot. Right. This was my shot to make something and move up the ladder. Cause again, I love the brand. I still think Nickelodeon's a great brand. Sure. I haven't watched it in forever, yeah. but it's, it's still a brand that, you know, at the time, number one network for kids, you know, right. stuff like that. Like it's, a, it's a important, uh, staple of my childhood. Sure. I remember I went from like watching PBS shows mm-hmm. to watching Nickelodeon shows. Mm-hmm. That was the progression when I was right. younger. So, you know, shows like, you know, obviously I've mentioned family double dare guts, mm-hmm. legends of the hidden temple, Nick arcade, like those yeah. were shows that I loved watching and i was so enthused about doing something to help bring them back to life to be a part of this brand that impacted my childhood and so much because i mean at the end of the day i think it takes a a special kind of mindset to be able to you know the people running nickelodeon are adults thinking of what's going to entertain kids absolutely so you have to kind of have a mindset of what's going to really appeal to those kids. So I, I, I felt like it was helping keep me young to a certain extent, you sure, know what I sure, mean? Sure. And, and it was a brand I liked and I just, yeah, I loved it. So basically we had that conversation. It led to a lot of heated animosity. It got to a point where I was basically told, uh, Matt, you should resign, <laughs> you know? And wow. so, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, I quit, but it was basically told, you're going to tell us that you're going to quit so that you're fired. 
you know? And wow. so it was very disheartening, um, especially because of all the friends that I had there. Sure. Now I know that 23 year old Matt probably wasn't thinking about this at the time, but like, wasn't there an HR person you could have brought with you? I tried. I, I really tried to bring that in with HR. Um, I think that a lot of people, especially when you're in entertainment, they just assume you're so goofy and off the wall that you're never serious, uh, you know? Yeah, and so, so true. I just, I've always had a hard time, at least then, not with my current work, but mm-hmm. at least then when I worked in the entertainment industry, it was just so much of, I, I had a hard time getting HR to believe me, you know, to take, to take my side, mm-hmm. to, to listen to what I had to say. And mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, it, it just didn't work. And I, I think at the end of the day, it wasn't going to work once we had already had that discussion. Well, sure, where I, they totally, you know, screwed you over. <laughs> I mean, I could I could see. And then you brought it to their attention. I mean, at that point, like going to that meeting, were you under the mindset that, you know, this is probably going to be the end for me? Or were you thinking they were going to see it your way and be like, oh, we're sorry, Matt. Like, let me go tell the network that you came up with this idea. I guess at the time I had hope that uh, they would that's be 23 year old optimism. Yeah, I know exactly. that optimism. Well, I had that optimism and I thought that they would actually try to help me out mm-hmm. because it's like, that whole time I was there, I always tried to help them out. When they had somebody calling for a shift, even if I had worked Universal that day, I would come in. I'd work the evening shift as a result. I was always willing to help them out. Not just for the money in this case. You sure. know, I love the money, but... Yeah, but you like working too and working hard. Yeah. Exactly. I was always willing to help out and help the team. That's why within months of me being there, I was already a trainer mm-hmm. within the team, showing other people, you know, how we do things, how we make the pies, et cetera, et cetera. You know, sure. like that was one of the things that I had done just because I picked it up so quick. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it just, uh, it was unfortunate. It really was unfortunate. And I felt, I felt hurt because I felt like I gave so much to these guys. And it's like, I'm just, they saw me as just a number and, you know, filling a role at the time. And I thought I had a lot of, one of the big things that my direct boss told me is that I needed to stop worrying about the big picture <gasps> oh. and focus on the the day to day. Oh, that's, my. I don't think it's a one or another thing mm-hmm. in general. I think you always have to be looking at what the future is. So like, yeah, I mean, that's just really another way of saying, uh, just shut up and do your job. I exactly. Mean, and don't try to take my job or anyone else's job. Just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And don't think about it. Stupid. Like, exactly. Ugh. And you know, because when I was an assistant manager, I oversaw the arcade And we had this vendor that provided the arcade machines to us. Mm -hmm. And I remember a few times I went up to the guy and I went, this game, nobody's playing it. Do you have anything else in your collection we could get here instead? I actually saw a few games. I said, "Um, you know, like, have you played the Mario Kart arcade game before? Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, can we get one of those in here? (laughs) Like, you didn't like get something in here that the kids are going to like. You need to, there's, there's two areas of focus when it comes to an arcade at Nickelodeon. One, get games in there that the kids are going to like. Sure. And two, 
get games in there that the adults of those kids are going to be entertained with, whether that's a Pac-Man or a Donkey Kong or right, something like right, that. Right. Get something in there that's going to keep everybody in there spending money, getting tickets. That was another thing. I also um, I remember one time that we were trying to get uh, prizes. Now, most of the time you think of prizes as an arcade. It's, and we talked about this earlier at, uh, right, at Dave, Dave and Buster's. Buster's. Yep. A lot of the prizes are crap. Right. And I remember they gave me this catalog of things that we could order. And I saw in there like one of those high quality Nerf guns. Ooh. Now, it, it was a ton of tickets. I think right. it was like 100,000 tickets. Yeah. But I said, we should get one of those. Yeah. And they were like. No, no, we don't need that. So they eventually said, yeah, we'll get one. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Some kid came and got that. And we had that. Have you played that stacker game before? That weird one with the lights that you have to press the red dot and you have to stop the the red bars that go across? Yeah, yeah. If you get to a certain level, you unlock a certain prize. Uh Well, at the time, the prizes in this game were like those throw at them sticky hands with the the gross ones. You get a little dirt on them. They look nasty. Mm -hmm. And um I said, put something cool in there. Put an iPod or something like that was back when iPods were still a thing. But they ended up putting an iPod shuffle in there and the Mm -hmm. plays on that game went up over a thousand percent in the time since we got the iPod in there. So it sounds like to me that maybe at the time when you were there, they were sort of thinking maybe in a sort of quantity over quality kind of thinking. And then you came in and you're like, why don't we just make it quality? <laughs> I mean, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I just, at the end of the day, you could come in there and you could get a bunch of the, you know, Chinese finger traps. If you wanted to do, woo, right. do like, yeah, that's not special. That's the, no, that's it. You could get that at any other arcade. Exactly. You come to Nickelodeon one, there needed to be Nickelodeon themed stuff, sure. but two, there needed to be some other bigger, cool stuff. They're at a hotel. Absolutely. You know, yeah. you're at a hotel You've got them. You've got, you're buying food. You're buying some merchandise. Why not keep them in the arcade to keep them entertained too? They're continuing to spend money. That's what the name of the game is in hospitality. I mean, at the end of the day, all of these performers that we're talking about being in these performing roles Mm -hmm. wouldn't be possible if you didn't have people coming in there spending buku bucks. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm you glad know? you said Buku Bucks. Yeah. Buku Bucks. <laughs> True. The Nick Hotel is sadly in your rearview mirror now. And now it's just you and Universal and escorting. Is that the case? Here's where here's where the fun comes in. Yeah. So right as I had to resign from Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. a friend of mine from high school was getting married. So I went back home for about two weeks for this wedding thing. Mm-hmm. Friends introduced me to P90X, <laughs> the most working out I had ever done in my life. I really hadn't done much working out to that point. Right. So they gave me a copy of the DVDs. I took them home with me when I eventually went down to Florida. I started working out again. I was escorting every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, I got bored with uh, with doing P90X at home, which probably leads us closer to when you and I started hanging out more. Yeah. Now, this is the mat that I know. Uh <laughs> It is, this is, bit, the man he knows. is bitter is that an okay word to use uh bitter oh man maybe oh, not man. bitter but <laughs> i mean just you were just there and like i just felt like not that i don't want to say you didn't give a an f but yeah you were it's it looked like you i felt like you'd been through the ringer and done some stuff 
And now you're just sort of stuck in this escorting position. Well, you knew what it was that now, now that I've explained it more, now you know more of what it was that I had gone through. Okay. I don't fault you for it because I eventually ended up there myself uh, with that kind Mm -hmm. of, uh, I don't know. It's like a mindset. Like it's just, you know, people get burnt out. I mean, especially, I mean, you have a a great, I don't even say excuse, but you have a great reason to be, I mean, you totally got taken advantage of, I'd say, but, uh, but Hey, that's a math that I love nonetheless anyway. And so, so yeah, is that when we first met was in the gym? So what ended up happening was I got tired of P90X. So, and I was getting so few shifts as an escort. Mm -hmm. And so we actually came up with, I don't want to call it a scheme, but it was a good strategy it was, it was. for us to be able to get so much more shifts. I think I had 40 plus hours from that point until the time I eventually moved out of state. Yeah, but yeah. W- what we did was I got tired of P90X. So I went in there, I started working out in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when Radzak and I first became friends. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always there in the morning. So it was me, Radzak. And then you started coming in too. We were hanging out and mm-hmm. we're just there working out. And it's like, I would get there five in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I would be there. I planned it out. Uh, initially, it was, I just want to go to a gym that's not a home, working out at home with sure. my measly stuff. Oh, they've got equipment at Universal. Mm-hmm. Let's go work out there. And a uh, fun so fact, I, uh, just real quick, U- Universal Orlando is like the only, I mean, I've worked at three Universals now, and they were the only ones, and this includes Universal Hollywood, that had a proper gym in it. Hmm. So I was disappointed when I went to those other ones and there was no free gym. Uh, What a bummer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially at Universal Hollywood. You could only assume that they would have one, but they didn't. You would think they'd have one on every corner, every break room. (laughs) Oh, and that the uh, streets are lined with gold. (laughs) Wow. Uh, But it's it's actually quite small. But anyway, uh, so we're in there working hard in the morning and you come up with this great idea too. So basically what we did was so often in animated at this point, I was escorting mostly animated characters. Those are the mm-hmm. costume characters and um, got this idea that people would call in all the time. So there was always be open shifts. So by us getting there at five in the morning, mm-hmm. we were there before anybody else got there, but the managers would always get there maybe 30, 45 minutes before all the other people did. Sure. So rather than just going, Hey, what's open today? I'd go to the manager and say, hey, I, just so you know, I'm in the gym. I'm working out right now. Um, in the event that anybody calls in, um, I'm here if you need me. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was, and it, it was worked brilliant. out. It really did. <laughs> Until other people started ripping us off by not even. Yeah, toward the end, people uh-huh. started started not coming to work out. They made a comment. Oh, yeah, I'm here to work out. But most of them didn't. Mm-hmm. And then they'd try to snatch up those jobs before we even, or the roles of the day, whatever they were, before we could get them. But I I had 40 plus the whole time that between then and the time I left, I don't know about you. Yeah, I would, uh, I would, you usually, yeah, I would nail it for a week, 40 plus um, between my regular character shifts and escorting as well. So, I mean, it was a brilliant scheme. There's no doubt about it. Um, and then occasionally we would also work out in the afternoon where our, uh, with our good friends, Patrick and uh, Anthony. Yes, indeedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little more days. obsessed with bodybuilding than uh, maybe the two of us. <laughs> I mean, I did. 
I did, and I still own Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding, mm-hmm. or the new modern, something like that, whatever something, it is. Yeah. And I would bring that in and read that, and that was my original, oh, yeah, I'll do this move, then I'll do that move. But the two of them are obsessed with bodybuilding. And I had a good time hanging out with a bitter escort, Matt. That's just the term <laughs> I'm going to throw around because that's the the Matt that I knew. Uh, for- hey, you know what, though? I got the job done. Uh, yeah, we were there. We I was getting a paycheck. That's really, unfortunately, mm-hmm. what it was mostly about. Yeah, and I remember we got to work together a few times. Uh, myself as Donkey and you as the escorts. Like, I yep. remember that was a good time. And, uh, and then eventually uh, you left. So what, uh, what prompted that, buddy? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what ended up forcing me to leave was, uh, well, not forcing me to leave. So there were two things with that one, uh, my grandfather who, um, I used to call all the time. I started to notice back in 2007 when I was still working at Nickelodeon, he was starting to suffer from a bit of memory loss. Now I'm from Michigan. So I was like, Oh man, every, I, I kept telling like my mom and, and people like, I think grandpa's forgetting things. And she's like, Oh no, 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 no. It's just old age, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, man, I really wish I could see him more, you know, type of thing. And my, um, this girl that I worked with at Nickelodeon, she had a sister that was around the same age Mm -hmm. that lived in Chicago. And, uh, one time they came down for like a family vacation. I got to meet her, you know, I had gone to the sister's wedding, blah, blah, blah. I started hanging out with this girl. We became uh, my space friends right. again. I'm dropping that in there again. <laughs> How many it. times can I drop it in there? I love it. <laughs> Tom is our friend. Tom is our friend. Um, we hung out for a little bit and it got to the point where, you know, she was like, well, you can come move up here. And I, I saw this two things. One. Chicago would be a great place for me to jump into uh, working with something film and video that I've done or um, something like that. And I'd also be closer to home so I could see my grandpa more. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, kills two birds with one stone kind of. So sure. I moved up there. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. I think we maybe were together like another two months after I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, had to have a short stint working for places like GNC yeah. and the picture people. I don't know if that's a common, it's like one of those uh, family portrait things. I ended up becoming a, an assistant manager during Santa Claus season at the mall. Wow. It was, uh, I've been a Santa yeah. Claus, so that's okay. But uh, let's, um, let's talk about, do you remember? I'm sure it was very underwhelming and probably forgettable, but do you remember your very last day at Universal? Uh, the only thing I remember about it was that there were two things, well, two things that were disappointing to me. One, I had hit five years mm-hmm. and I was never given one of those pins for my name badge. <laughs> so that disappointed me. Mm-hmm. And two, I was like, I'm going to grab a map. Mm-hmm. I wanted a park map really bad. So I, I it's funny, a about a year ago, I was going through my stuff and I found that I actually had the park map from the first day I was there where they oh, made wow. a circle, the attraction. Nice. And then I had the one for the very last day I was there as well. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool to, to know that I've got my bookends of uh, when I started and when I left. And that it's is crazy. Really cool. It's crazy to look at the map and go, oh, man, that's gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's gone. That's yeah, go- oh, yeah. that's gone. So. 
TNA wrestling isn't there anymore. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> you know, like we all kinds uh, of things. When we came back from Singapore, we actually we caught an uh, I can't remember. I think it was an Impact taping or something. But um, but yeah, shortly thereafter, it was gone. Um, but so basically, on the very last day, you just did an escorting shift. You don't really remember. Who, what character it might have been? I don't. Or... I don't unfortunately remember that. I think I was probably just like, "This is the end." Yeah, I I remember. You know, I think you sent me a text um, saying that you wanted to make sure that I got like your days or something, your escorting shit. Oh yeah, I did. That was our last Facebook message, or before this was me making sure I got you got those last two shifts. Oh, we were on Facebook by then. <laughs> I think we were. Yeah. If you look at if you look at the conversation, oh yeah, I we, think we, we would have been transitioned because I didn't get a Facebook until um, until I was worked on Zombie Land. Um, hmm. But uh, so yeah, so you basically hit the road um, with Theme Park World in your rear view. Like it was how, in my rear view mirror. Yeah. So how did you? I mean, did you ever think, oh well, there goes that career? What were you thinking at the time? I didn't really know what I was thinking at the time. Mm -hmm. I think at the time, I don't want to say like, oh, I was so entranced by a relationship that, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know much about because I hardly knew her, right. you know, but I, I don't know if I saw working at the parks as a career, right? You know, right. I think I was always looking at what's the next big picture. I mean, kind of like when I was at Nickelodeon, I was looking at how do I get to network? Well, I think when I was at I think five years counts as a career, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah, I mean, but I understand what you're saying uh, for sure. Uh, so, wow. And then that was the end of uh, Matt Smith working at theme parks. Uh, that well, <laughs> it's uh, a little random, but, uh, you know, one of the things that happened a few years back when I was working in Fort Myers mm -hmm. at the uh, television station down there was that we... Um, one time we were doing a press event for Halloween Horror Nights 25 uh -huh. and uh, the regular cameraman that was supposed to work there or work the event couldn't go. So they were like, oh, Matt, why don't you go? You, we know you worked at the parks. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> I went to uh, I, I had to go to the parks with the host of our uh, they had this like entertainment show and I had to go to all these things that she was scared out of her mind going on all the how. Halloween stuff and things like that. But I ran into a few familiar faces, some of which I think recognized me, but didn't put a name with it and right. didn't know why I was there. Uh, I remember <laughs> it's because, that groupie. He's back. Yeah. Well, I, I ran into uh, Mike Aiello, mm -hmm. who, you know, is like the, I don't know what his actual title is now, sure. but um, he's way up the totem pole at this right. point. And uh, the host was doing like an interview with him and he kept like looking at me like, I know you, but why are you running this camera? Mm -hmm. Like maybe in his mind, he thought I still worked at the parks. I have right. no idea. Or maybe right. he know, I heard through the grapevine, this guy's a groupie. <laughs> <Get him outta laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I have no idea, but it was just kind of a funny full circle. And, you know, obviously my brother-in-law still works at the parks too. So I still get admission to go in there. So, uh, so what are you up to now, Matt? Well, um, obviously it's been Wow, almost eleven years since I left the theme parks. Oh, look at all your gray hairs now. Nah, uh, oh man! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I got into uh, working in television uh, mm -hmm. when I moved back uh, after the thing in Chicago didn't work out. I actually moved back to Michigan mm -hmm. uh, to Lansing, uh, well, just south of there where I grew up, and uh, I got into television. A friend of mine from high school, she was a uh, 
um, she worked on a radio station that happened to simulcast with the local television station, their morning uh, host guy. And she was like, yeah, the station's looking for interns. Now, one, taking it back to one, when I worked at full or went to full sale, one of the promises of full sale is that you are, quote, a student for life. Uh. So I was able to uh, be classified as a student again in order to do a, an internship wow. at a local television station. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have been with the same company since then, uh, April of 2010. And, um, so I just hit my 10 years, um, working, uh, I've been at four different stations in three different States bouncing all over the place, market changes, um, worked in a top 15 market. And now I'm obviously here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, working at a uh, local television station here. Uh, but now I went from being an intern to now I'm the creative services director wow. at the television station, which means I oversee uh, commercial production mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, station branding and stuff like that. So um, I've done a lot of different things. I got to use my degree. You got what you wanted. In the end, you got what you wanted. You just have to, you had to go through the theme park ringer in order to get to it. Exactly. Uh, but that's great, man. So uh, almost finished here. Just a few more uh, fun questions here. Yeah, no worries. Um, what uh, is your favorite theme park to go to as a guest? As a guest, um, I, I would Universal's always fun. Um, I think that I, I do enjoy going to the Disney parks. Um, you know, I, I could probably spend all day in Magic Kingdom. If I'm going to eat, though, you can't eat Magic Kingdom. Nothing there is good. You have to go to Epcot where they actually have sit down restaurants um, in World Showcase. Those are good restaurants. Highly recommended. Let's see. Did you prefer working at Universal or the Nick Hotel? I think they were each their own animal. Mm-hmm. I think if maybe I, I enjoyed what I did at Universal up until the point that I started upsetting a bunch of people mm-hmm. by being a, a dumb kid who had just turned 21, right. was dealing with the crap of my parents, mm-hmm. and then just making a lot of dumb decisions, making stupid MySpace posts right. that um, made people upset. And I think at that point, I just kind of, you know, drew the line in the sand without meaning to and kind of ruined my thing there. But then it kind of shifts, I guess you could say, because obviously I liked working at Universal. And then obviously I had basically burned some bridges there that Nickelodeon then became my fun thing. But right. Overall, they they kind of own I I know that was a major non answer, but it just they they had their own they had their own thing. I think for, I, I like the camaraderie better at Nickelodeon as far as feeling like a, a tight knit family and be more friendly with people. But as far as the seeing more people and being out and like being more free, I guess you'd get that more at the parks because, you know, those people, for the most part, you're not seeing for long periods of time. Right. Gotcha. Uh, what's your favorite ride of all time? Uh, Back to the Future was definitely <laughs> probably my favorite ride. Back to the Future. The ride, I guess I should uh, clarify, uh, was my uh, favorite um, until it left. That was a very unfortunate day. Hey, hey, um, hey, if they never put that Simpsons ride in there, I probably never would have been hired. Well, okay? I mean, that's true. I guess we got to we always got to find the silver lining. But I like and I like the Simpsons ride, though. You don't like it. I think I only went on it twice. And at the time, it was still new. 
That's actually, I think that's actually what's on the front page of the brochure for the park map from the day I was there was right after the Simpsons had opened. It's very likely that I was in that Homer suit that's on that picture. Uh, I mean, I can't <laughs> prove it, but, uh, but I was there for the grand opening of that ride. Though, I mean, it's, it's great. I, I, I really do like the rides and I know the park has been a constant evolution since we've left there, but it, at the end of the day, I, I, I do enjoy it. And I enjoy going there every opportunity I get. Now, all right, last question. Given, given the proper circumstances, do you think you would ever work at a theme park or in the theme park industry ever again? So without trying to play my hand too much, being that I work at an NBC station now mm-hmm. and that Universal and NBC... Oh, wait, flip that. It's NBC Universal, right, folks. Right, right. So let's be real. Um, I think that there, um, I've actually had some conversations with some people that are um, involved with the network mm-hmm. where I've talked about synergy opportunities that I think definitely could be incorporated better. I think um, sending guests to the parks Mm -hmm. from the local markets. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of opportunities. Um, I know recently they had the grand opening of like the today show cafe that took over where the Belanger, however you say that restaurant, that, that little breakfast snack nook that used to be there right at the opening of the park. Mm -hmm. They had people in the background, but why not have those people be guests from all over the from affiliated with NBC station contesting all across the country? Oh, you know, like I just think there's a lot of opportunities. And I think that in general, this is more of a philosophy thing than like a business insider thing. But I think that there are a lot of opportunities for synergy and Comcast as a whole. When they got into the theme park business, I don't even think they knew what to expect. Right, right. But then they started investing tons of money in it, and Mm. it just became grandiose. Sure. And I think that there's a lot more opportunity that they can do that. And, you know, obviously they've got the TV stations, Mm -hmm. the theme parks, the cable network. Mm -hmm. Soon they're going to have the new streaming app with the Peacock app coming out in July. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that there are a lot of opportunities there. And, you know, if by some chance somebody called me up and said, Matt, you got any cool ideas? You know, I'd say, hey, here's a few that we could do <laughs> to to bridge that gap and bring all the brands together and, you know, make it all one one big thing. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think Universal and Disney and SeaWorld and all those things that are in Orlando, while would they think they're competing with each other? They're really competing with the other types of entertainment that are there in in there. So it's like, how do we get the beachgoers to come to the park? Right, right. How do we get, you know, like there's a bunch of different things that people are there for. So it's like, you know, and most people that go to the parks, if they're going to go to Disney, they're likely going to go to Universal. They're likely going to go to SeaWorld. I don't know that many people that pick one or the other. Maybe that's just from my personal experiences. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that they all... I mean, obviously they all help the economies of the different places where you have these things. So Mm -hmm. they're all want to have every, the whole industry wants to thrive as more of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Especially now, since there isn't a theme park industry. (laughs) And uh, you know what? I know right now a lot of people are concerned and they think, you know, what's it going to look like? And yeah, there may be a time for a while with masks and stuff like that. But I think at the end of the day, 
people want to be entertained and right now people can only be so entertained with a Netflix and a YouTube and Hulu and all those things. But eventually they're going to get back to business. The parks are going to be thriving. I think they're going to be better than ever. And I can't wait um, if to see universal's Epic universe still not sold on the name, but I'm looking forward to seeing what that uh, park looks like when it finally opens up. Oh yeah. Super Mario land. That's going to be or world. Is it super Mario land or world? I I don't know. They probably, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah. That's going to be a good time. I look forward to checking that out. They're even building one over here at universal Hollywood too. Oh, nice. Matt, thanks so much for uh, sharing your journey here on theme park legends. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. It was good catching up. We'll have to keep in touch more and not just send Facebook messages once every 10 years. Big thanks to Matt for taking the time to talk to us about his journey. A couple of things we can take away from Matt's story is that it's okay to be motivated by money. As long as you're doing a good job and you're enjoying what you're doing, who cares what your motivation is? And also... Ambition can be a double-edged sword. When you start working your way up that corporate ladder, you don't know who's waiting to chop you down and steal your ideas. And speaking of ideas, I think it would be a great idea if you told all your friends about this podcast. And an even better idea? How about a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you got this podcast? And if you've ever worked in a theme park, I'd love to hear your story. And don't forget to join me next time as I continue to unearth even more Theme Park Legends. Thanks for listening to the Theme Park Legends podcast. Make sure you retrieve all belongings while exiting the car. Should you forget anything or have any questions or comments, make sure you reach out to us on social media. And remember, have a legendary day. Ah.